And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. On that day, men were appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priest and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priest and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there was a chief of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. This is the word of God. I've been doing some reading on the early history of St. Luke's, and I found that from our very beginning, we have been committed to working hard to make a difference in the world, no matter what conditions we might be working in. Last Sunday, Dr. Long shared with us the story of the builders and the couple's Sunday school classes that would sell Beverly's fried chicken at the Oklahoma State Fair to raise money for the church. Well, I found that there was almost a theme of food in our ministries from the beginning. In the early 1900s, the women's group of St. Luke's would prepare meals in order to raise money for the building of a new church. One year, they were hired to cook for the state legislators, and they worked out of a makeshift kitchen in an unheated basement. It turned especially cold, and despite that, they worked hard to prepare and cook and serve and then clean up after every meal. During 40 days, they did this, and in the midst of that time, a gentleman walked down there, and he couldn't believe how hard they were working and how difficult the circumstances. He said, I can't believe you're doing this, and they smiled and kept working. There was another time that the Chamber of Commerce was looking for a group to cook a meal for over 1,500 people. And someone suggested that they call St. Luke's because the people there are doing whatever they can to raise money for the church. And so the women's group took that project on. They borrowed silver from the Christian church and the high school. They rented plates and stoves. And they decorated this entire auditorium. It was so beautiful. They cooked and prepared the meal. They cleaned it all up by the next morning. Perhaps my favorite of the stories is when the women's group set out to cater and cook for the spring banquet. Now, this was for a little over 200 people. At that time, the women's group had a hospitality chairperson. She was in charge of overseeing the event. And... It doesn't sound like she was a great cook herself or knew a lot about food, but she knew who did. That was Catherine Ayers. Catherine was the sister of Judge Edgar Vaught, for whom we have Vaught Chapel. Well, Catherine agreed to cook the food, and the social hospitality chairperson said that she would order all the food and have it delivered 
to the church on the day of the meal. Well, that morning of the dinner, Catherine showed up and walked up to the second floor kitchen in the church at that time, and she walked in, and there she saw two cans of peas, a bunch of celery, and one pound of unshelled walnuts, and five chickens, five whole chickens that were still very much alive and running around the church kitchen. Now, the delivery boy was still there at that time, and so Catherine paid him to take the chickens outside and prepare them. So he took them back outside and uh, removed their heads. He didn't allow them to drain outside. He picked them all up by the feet and carried them up the front steps of the church, down and back into the kitchen and plopped them on the counter. Now, it was just about that moment that three young women of the church showed up to help out, and they walked in the back door and saw what looked like, I'm sure, a crime scene. And they screamed and ran out of the church. And Catherine was left alone with a couple cans of peas, some walnuts, celery, and five chickens that still needed to be plucked and cleaned. And she was left there to prepare a meal for over 200 people. So she called one of the older women of the church, one of her friends, who proceeded to call several of her friends. And then Catherine called the grocery store to have them deliver the right amount of food. And they worked to prepare that meal. They worked so hard all day long. Now, the three young women who had run off scared, they did come back just in time for the dinner. They were all dressed up nice, and they walked into the kitchen, and they expressed their shock and surprise to Catherine that she had never taken the time to go home and change. Well, for Catherine, probably the hardest part of the evening was when the social and hospitality chairperson was invited up to the front stage to be recognized for the success of the event. And this woman said, after all, something like this is, is really, it doesn't amount to anything. It just takes know-how and careful planning I'm sure that Catherine bit her tongue the entire meal. It was conditions like that that these women worked through, and yet they still had a sense of joy and gratitude. Years later, one of the women who had been a part of that original group was interviewed. She was in her 90s by this time, and she still looked back with fondness to the time that they worked so hard to cook and raise money for the life of the church. She said, we worked, and we worked hard, but I enjoyed every moment of it. Here was a woman facing the end of her days on earth, approaching life eternal in heaven, and she was remembering back. One of her greatest, best memories was working hard for the sake of the church. I think that she could see it in a different light because she had such a sense of gratitude She understood that she was part of something much bigger than herself. And so she could rejoice and give thanks that she was able to be a part of all those different opportunities. I think gratitude can change the way we live. It can lead us to joy, to serving, to making a difference. It can change the way we live and help us to have no regret in life. 
This morning, I want to continue on with our sermon series, Things You Won't Regret. We're looking at how to live life to the fullest. The series is based on the writings of a hospice care nurse and some of the common themes that she saw with some of her patients who were approaching death. Some of them seemed to have a sense of regret. They thought of things that they had done and things that they hadn't done. And it would fill them with sadness, wishing that they could do things differently. There's something important about facing our own mortality, looking and deciding how we want to live the rest of our days. We have that choice. And I think gratitude is an important choice that we can make. When we went on our Reformation trip to Germany and England, I can tell you that we faced our own mortality many times. There are lots of cemeteries and graves there. In all the churches that we went, there would be hundreds and hundreds of people that would be buried inside in crypts, and you would walk and see headstones all across the stone floors. Now, I was brought up that if you ever go to a cemetery for a service, that you show respect, and you would never walk across a grave because you would walk around it to show respect for whoever was buried there. But I can tell you that there were cathedrals that we visited, that there was no way forward because the stone floor had only headstones in front of us. We had to walk across somebody's headstone in order to go ahead. Time and time again, I was faced with issues of life and death. And the purpose for being there was to learn more about the Reformation. Men and women who had risked and even given their lives for the sake of the church. And so there were many opportunities for me to ask myself the question, how do I want to spend the rest of my life? What choices do I want to make? How can I continually show gratitude and joy and be involved in making a difference? This morning's scripture comes from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Now, this is an important part of Israel's history. But to set the scene, we need to go back to King Solomon of Israel. King Solomon was the son of King David. And Solomon would go on to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. Now, the temple that he built was incredible. It was massive and ornate. It was known throughout the world because of its beauty. But when Solomon died, there was a great struggle in the political system, and the country of Israel was split in two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. In 722 BCE, the northern kingdom was conquered, and the people were taken off into captivity. And then in 587 BCE, the Babylonians came and conquered the southern kingdom. They wiped out Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple of God, and they carried the Hebrew people off into exile, into captivity. Years later, the Babylonians would be conquered by the Persians, and it would be two Persian kings, Cyrus and Darius, who would allow the Hebrew people to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And when they rebuilt the temple, they were filled with such gratitude and joy that they were inspired to continue, and they rebuilt the walls around the city of Jerusalem. 
And then they celebrated. They had this incredible worship service. And that's where the text this morning comes from. Nehemiah led the people to rebuild the wall, and he leads this worship service of thanksgiving because they were so grateful what God had done and what they were allowed to be a part of. Gratitude is such a key element of the Christian life. Why is it that we sometimes forget to give thanks, especially when we are involved in ministry? I think sometimes we get out of sync with gratitude. We forget to be disciplined and be intentional about it. There are three things that I want to discuss this morning that I think can remind us how to give thanks in every aspect of our life, ways that we don't have to live with regret. The first is gratitude leads us to grow in our faith, which leads us back to gratitude. We've been talking for a while now about Martin Luther. Remember, he's the German priest in the 1500s who was a leader of the Protestant Reformation. And on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses, his statements, on the church door in Wittenberg. These were statements that he wanted to discuss to bring about change in the church. And it was an incredible moment in church history. Now, we're going to celebrate that moment because it's the 500th anniversary of that taking place. We'll celebrate it next Sunday for Reformation Sunday. You are invited to wear red. That's the color of the Holy Spirit. But before that moment in Wittenberg, Martin Luther wasn't always so confident. In fact, he really struggled with his faith early on. He doubted that he was worthy. He doubted he'd ever be good enough to follow Christ, much less lead the church. He really was in turmoil. He was led to start studying Scripture. And when he read the Bible, over and over again, he would find examples of God's assurance of God's love for him. And it convinced him of how important Scripture was to Christianity and that God intended for all of us to have access to Scripture, not just the clergy. It would transform his life. When he was reassured of God's love, he was so grateful, and it inspired him to continue to study, which continued to uh, fill him with gratitude and so on. It was this cycle of gratitude. It would inspire and transform his ministry. When he started off his ministry, he was weak and worried, but by the time he was finishing his race on earth, he was full of peace and joy and thanksgiving. And he wanted that for all Christians. He would go on to say that gratitude was the basic attitude of Christianity and that gratitude was at the heart of the gospel. When we stood at the church doors in Wittenberg, I can tell you that it was so transforming for me. I remember that it was because of men like Martin Luther men and women who had given so much that we are able to read the Bible. And I couldn't help but be humbled and grateful for all of their work that has has given me so much meaning in my life. That gratitude inspires me to continue to grow in my faith, to desire to grow closer to God. 
when the people of Israel came back to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple and then they rebuilt the walls, in the midst of their worship celebration, they cry out that the word of God be read to them. They hungered in the midst of their thanksgiving. They hungered to hear God's word and they recommitted themselves to follow it more faithfully. When we give thanks, we're inspired to grow closer to God. Second, gratitude leads to joy, which leads back to gratitude. One of the things that has happened throughout church history is that when a group who was formerly persecuted now comes to power, they tend to turn around and persecute others. The early church was terribly persecuted for many years until Emperor Constantine took the throne and at the end of his life, he established Christianity as the official state religion. And sadly, it wouldn't be too long till some Christians were persecuting others for their faith beliefs. In the Protestant Reformation, when people fought for their own ability to express their own faith beliefs, when Protestantism, Protestantism took root in an area, you'd often see them fighting amongst themselves, persecuting one another because they had differences in the way they believed. In England, through the reign of King Henry VIII and the rulers who followed him, there was a back-and-forth struggle between Catholics and Protestants, and whoever was on top at the time would persecute the other, whether it was Protestant or Catholic, and whoever was on top depended on who was on the throne at the time. Well, by the time that Queen Elizabeth I, the daughter of King Henry VIII, by the time that she got to the throne, she wanted to put an end to all the violence and bloodshed in her country, and she sought to find a more moderate middle way. She established the Act of Uniformity, and that declared that the common book of prayer would be the official and only order of worship for the Church of England. Now, as you can imagine, within Protestant beliefs, there are a wide range of beliefs. And so you have the Church of England, and you had other Protestants who disagreed with those beliefs, and they were called dissenters or nonconformists. And to disagree with the Church of England uh, carried certain consequences or ramifications, one of them being that you couldn't be buried in the church graveyard. When we were in London on our trip, we visited a dissenter's cemetery called Bunhill Fields. It sits across the road from Wesley's chapel, from John Wesley's house and his final burial site. And in this cemetery, there are 120,000 people buried there, but only about 2,500 gravestones remain in the four-acre cemetery now. Well, there are very influential people throughout history who are there. John Bunyan is one. He's the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He was a devout Christian who was put into prison for his belief. Daniel Defoe is buried there. He wrote Robinson Crusoe, as is the famous hymn writer Isaac Watts. Now, before the time of Isaac Watts, most of the singing that was done in churches was singing of biblical psalms. And Isaac Watts noticed that people were rather 
lackluster in their singing. There was no joy, and he felt that there should be joy and celebration as a part of worship. And so he worked to take the psalms and transform them into hymns. He published a book of psalms and hymns, and he was sharply criticized for it because how dare he suggest that anything other than God's word be sung in church. But he felt that joy was a part of the Christian experience. And so he wrote songs like, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, and When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and Joy to the World, because he believed that joy and thanksgiving were essential to Christian worship. But we were primarily there to see the burial site of Susanna Wesley. Now, it's interesting that Susanna Wesley is buried there because although she was born to two parents who were dissenters from the Church of England, when she was a youth, she rejected her parents' beliefs and turned back to be part of the Church of England. She would raise her children with strong convictions. Her sons, John and Charles, uh, would go on and work to bring change in the Church of England, and that would lead to the Methodist movement. Now, Susanna and John and Charles were all very disciplined in the way they lived their life. They had a method for everything. Susanna had a proper method for raising her children. John and Charles were teased. They were made fun of while they were at college because they were so methodical about how they practiced their faith. In fact, they were called names, and that's the name that we have as our church, Methodists. They were called that as a derogatory term because they were so methodical. Well, they were. Susanna was. And she was so strict about her life, but she also felt that joy was essential. And she tried to instill that belief in her children. Well, John, when he was 20 years old, was very strict in his life. And he wrote home to his mother complaining, probably tattling on his brother Charles. And he said that Charles was enjoying life far too much, concerned about the pleasures of the world. And so John quoted the author Thomas Akempis to his mother. Thomas Akempis basically believed that Christians should be somewhat miserable when they follow God. And if they weren't, they weren't doing it right. There's no time for happiness or joy or any fun if you're following Christ of that belief. And John was right in line with that at that moment. Well, he wrote that letter to his mom and expected her to agree with him. She wrote promptly back and said that Thomas Akempis was extremely wrong if he even suggests that God would have us forsake joy and satisfaction. She explained that God intended us to find joy and meaning in life. It was part of the Christian experience. Well, some of that must have taken root with John Wesley because later on in his life, he wrote a sermon called The Character of a Methodist. And this man who originally thought that Christians should be miserable had now come to a different light, and he wrote the following. A Methodist is one who has the love of God shed in his heart by the Holy Ghost given to him, one who loves the Lord his God with all his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength. God is the joy of his heart and the desire of his soul, which is constantly crying out, Whom have I in heaven but thee? 
and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My God and my all, thou art the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is happy, therefore, in God, always happy, as having in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life and overflowing his soul with peace and joy. Perfect love, having now cast out fear, he rejoices evermore. He rejoices in the Lord always, even in God his Savior. When we give thanks and we're intentional about living in gratitude, it leads us to a sense of joy, and that's exactly what God desires for our lives. And third, gratitude leaves leads to service, which leads back to gratitude. When the Hebrew people returned back to Jerusalem after being in exile, they didn't have much, but they had a purpose. They knew they were called to rebuild the temple. Some of them would never live to see the end of the project, to see the completion of God's temple. But even in that moment, they knew they were part of something bigger than their own life. They were committed to giving all that they could. And so despite the hardships and the setbacks, they gave everything in joy and thanksgiving. And then after they completed the temple, they were so inspired by what God was doing with them and through them that they set to work with Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They were really rebuilding the city of God. And we hear the words of the celebration, this worship service of praise and thanksgiving, because they were so grateful to be a part of what God was doing. We're in the midst of our stewardship campaign. It's a time when we're reminded of all that God is doing in our midst, everything that we get to be a part of. And when we give our time and effort and our financial gifts, we see that God makes an incredible difference in the world. It inspires us to give and serve even more. I think that God delights and finds joy when we find joy in following Christ. It's been a part of our DNA from the very beginning. That first Sunday after the land run, the Oklahoma settlers had so much that they had to do. They had to protect their claim, They had to find food and water. They had to build shelter. But on that first Sunday, they felt that they had to give thanks. And it was in that first worship service and out of a sense of gratitude that inspired them to build our first church building, the tabernacle. They created ministries that would reach out to people in need. The church grew, and they were working hard to build a new church building, and then a new larger church building. They did things like sell food and fried chicken and cook meals. They worked hard. And even in the midst of that, they gave $25,000 for a new church start, Asbury Methodist, in South Oklahoma City. They were so full of gratitude at what God was doing through them and in their midst And they were excited to be a part of what God was doing in someone else's church. We are a part of that mission. We get to do these things in the world. It was out of gratitude that we began the work of going on television and radio, of going to Russia and starting churches, of beginning a contemporary worship service, 
It was out of gratitude that we started St. Luke's Asbury, St. Luke's Online, and St. Luke's Edmund. Last Sunday, I was worshiping in St. Luke's Edmund, and we had a worship service celebrating the one-year anniversary of our opening the new church building there. And I can tell you the worship services were full of praise and thanksgiving. At the end of each of the worship services, many of the 66 people who have been baptized because of St. Luke's Edmund, they came forward, they stood in front of the altar rail all across the front of the worship center. And I have to tell you, I was probably not the only one who was overwhelmed with a sense of humility and thanksgiving that I get to be a part of a family of faith that works so hard to bring people closer to God. That is what it's about. That's what we're about. And it's the joy of the life that God calls us to. Gratitude is the joy when we're connected with Christ and a part of his ministry in the world. And it's something we won't have to regret. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers and thanksgiving to God. Amen.